Hello, I'm Richard Lanford, the red-headed preacher of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast, to which you just tuned in. Thank you for tuning in. This message is from September 26th, 2021. The lector is Carolyn Van Til, who is a member of our Board of Christian Education, and she will be reading from James 5 and Mark 9. The sermon is called Community Care, Community Prayer, and it's based out of the reading from James. As I often do, I invite you to join me before we go further for a brief moment of prayer together. Wonderful God, we thank you for the sky and the clouds and the sun and the rain and all the gifts of nature and the bounty of creation. And then the bounties of new creation, which we find in your word and in fellow believers and in times with you and in times of service. So we give you thanks and ask that you you consecrate this time together as we listen as we think about what we hear, and as perhaps we put into practice where we can what we hear today. This grace we ask in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. And now here is our going further. Our first reading is from James, this time chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, which takes us through the end of the book. He gives us some final teaching, exhortations, and encouragement. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faithful will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This ends the reading from today's epistle. Like last Sunday, we now go straight to the gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. It picks up right where it left off last week which ended with Jesus saying to the disciples, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Now comes today's reading. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. 
If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Wherever their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here ends the reading from the gospel and the scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this God's holy word. Our worship continues with a musical meditation by our music director, Ben Westphal. I remember the announcement I wanted to make, and that was just a little story. Uh, Earlier this morning at the church, I was by the Laramie Avenue entrance, and I thought I heard somebody talking outside, like maybe they were trying to get in. I didn't recognize the voice, but I looked outside, and someone was putting something in the mini pantry. So I opened the door just to thank them, and this woman who's not a member of St. Peter's, but she had stuff that she was putting in, and I thanked her for that. And she, what she, what the voice I heard was she was listening uh, over her phone to uh, her Bible study, she said. So she was listening to her Bible study while she was filling or helping to fill our mini pantry. So that was pretty cool. The sermon title is not what you see in your bulletin. And the sermon title instead is Community Care, Community Prayer. After I went through confirmation at our home church in southeast Minneapolis, the first congregational church of Minnesota, the Reverend Dick Kozelka went through with us the blessings or opportunities, and then the expectations of church membership. Each of us spoke with him privately about whether or not we were going to join. I had been a a wee bit affected by the expectation of some kind of regular weekly attendance, and more particularly, how the church is a community we become part of. Did my mom have to drive me to get me to church on any kind of basis? For sure. I was in my mid-teens, I think, and I did have a relationship with God, not to say Jesus. But apart from the transportation thing, I opted not to join. I told Reverend Kozelka that I did believe in God, I had a relationship with God, but I did not feel I needed the church, the community at that time. So I did not join the church officially until World Communion Sunday, 1980. I was honest about not needing a group of fellow believers for my individual private faith, but I was honestly wrong. I just had not gotten it. I had not gotten it yet. The church is meant to be a community, a supportive community. I had not gotten it. Later, I learned that the word for church is from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. 
It's a collection of persons called out to love, follow, and serve Jesus Christ. For the first several years after my confirmation decision, I missed out on the community of care, which I had already benefited from during my being in nursery, because I grew up in that church, Sunday school, and in the children's choir days. So what did I miss that might have changed me or my course? Now, no, I did not stop going entirely after that. It's not like, well, I'm not coming at all. That was not it. But on certain fall and winter Sundays, we did not stay for a coffee hour or the second hour of Christian Ed because we brought our snowmobile suits to put on and then zoom out to Metropolitan Stadium for the Vikings game. That was another kind of community. In this morning's reading, James lets us know that assemblies of worshiping Christ followers are to be communities of care and prayer. He lays it out there for them plainly. As Carolyn read, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. This is a place, a people, where in our suffering, we are encouraged to approach God with what's going on. Does God know? Yes. But like, I think if God doesn't want us to hold it in. God would like us to express it to get things off our chest. And sometimes we forget to do that. Sometimes when we are suffering, we might forget to pray because many of us are so indoctrinated into self-reliance that we try first, and maybe only, but we try first to draw on our own strength and wisdom for getting through whatever it is. Why? As Amy Grant, putting her words in Jesus' mouth, sings in, lay down your burdens, and I'm really watching while you struggle on your own. Call my name, I'll come. And a little later, I've seen those sleepless nights and count every tear you cry. Some lessons hurt to learn. I think the lesson she means is not going to God in prayer sooner. Suffering can mean many different things. One of the things in our faith is that through Jesus, God's Son, the Creator God has felt what Jesus felt while on earth. Rejection, being misunderstood, the death of a father, getting frustrated, being attacked by people in authority, and ultimately the trial, the whipping, and being tortured to death by crucifixion. When you or I suffer, especially when we suffer for doing the right thing, we are not alone. Jesus is in solidarity with us. When we pray out of our anguish, we have a God who says, I feel you. I'm with you. I know suffering. And as I raised Jesus, I will raise you above this. One way or another. We have a God to whom we can really pray because when we're suffering, In Christ, our God has experienced suffering in many ways firsthand, too. And when we are with others of this household of faith, that's community, care, and prayer together. Are any cheerful? Let them sing songs of praise. God bless James. This is the only place in our text that cheerfulness and singing come up 
as real possibilities. The early church was known as a singing, praising church from ancient letters describing the gatherings of our ancient forebears. Not everyone comes to worship suffering. Some come with energy. Some come with joy, expectation, and hoping that the preacher picked good hymns, songs, or responses to sing, even if now quietly behind masks. Maybe when we can unmask safely, we will unleash some of that praise feeling and sing. Now, you cannot program the Holy Spirit. So let's at least claim that worship is not meant to be always all dignified and quiet and bordering on dull at times. And that, too, is community care for the soul sung out loud when we can sing out loud. Now we're getting into it. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Here, the community is really emphasized. Call the elders. In those days, in in those groups of churches, the elders were the leaders in the churches called on for prayers for healing using the anointing with oil. Now, we use a form of anointing with oil when we hold a healing service here, like we did August 8th. Such anointing was a Jewish practice, and James and we inherited and kept down the centuries. Oil was believed to have medicinal qualities and was used in ceremonies ordained by God that weren't just medicinal, like anointing with oil the head of a new king of Israel. Now the priests, excuse me, now the elders in turn can anoint you with oil, with prayers, if you call them during sickness. That's what James was writing about. Community of care, community of prayer. I believe that there is power when you pray alone and when you pray with a group. There is power when you pray in the name of Jesus. There is power in silent prayer and silent prayers together, as we just did. Couple this with an anointing of oil for healing, and that's what James is talking about. Where else are you going to get this spiritual but hands-on to community care, community prayer, but with other people of faith, with churches? Going further, I'm sure you did not miss this. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Now, in ancient times, and maybe not so ancient times, being healed, being forgiven and forgiving were connected. So is being a sinner and coming down with some illness. There was a, well, if you're sick, maybe you brought this sickness on by having sinned. That was the belief then, and in some cases still is a belief. Even the Apostle Paul wrote that if you eat and drink the Lord's Supper without discerning your responsibility to your fellow poorer fellow church members at the agape meal preceding the Lord's Supper, it will make you ill or weak or worse. He was trying to get them. Hey, I won't preach on that text from 1 Corinthians 11, but even he had this idea that there was a connection. 
Well, this is what I have to say about this broad area. Knowing that God has forgiven you can open a channel of spiritual, if not also physical, healing. This mostly happens in communities of faith and care. Forgiving someone else, the same thing. Transformation of spiritual or spiritual growth is happening or being maintained, and that helps of healing of one kind or another when we are forgiving somebody else, which is seldom really easy to do. Holding back forgiveness, hanging on to resentments or bitterness is, as the saying goes, like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. This also is promoted by communities of care and communities of prayer. Not the drinking poison and, and waiting for the other person to die, but working on our ability to forgive others. Because we're surrounding ourselves, even if it's only once a week, we're surrounding ourselves with others who are trying to do this too. We encourage and reinforce each other. We teach each other, we learn from one another, we model it for one another, and we grow in this ability. But how will you and I really know that God has heard our confession of sins and forgiven us? Not by our lonesome, necessarily, not very often, and not very powerfully, though I have had one such experience that I wouldn't call it the norm. First, we need a community we can really trust, or a one another from the faith whom we can really count on. Many of you remember the words of Rachel Held Evans, which I've come to use as a call to confession a few times. She talks about this. In her book, Searching for Sunday, Evans wrote that she was in a radio interview and asked why she was a Christian. Part of her answer was, I'm a Christian because Christianity names and addresses sin. It acknowledges the reality that the evil we observe in the world is also present within ourselves. It tells the truth about the human condition, that we're not okay. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, instructed James, the brother of Jesus, she quoted. And she continued, at its best, the church functions pretty much like a recovery group, a safe place where a bunch of struggling, imperfect people come together to speak difficult truths to one another. Sometimes the truth is we have sinned as individuals. Sometimes the truth is we have sinned corporately as a people. Sometimes the truth is we're hurting because of another's sin or as a result of forces beyond our control. Sometimes the truth is we're just hurting and we're not even sure why. She continues, the practice of confession gives us a chance to admit to one another that we're not okay, and then to seek healing and reconciliation together in a community. No one has to go first, she says. Instead, we take a deep breath and start together with the prayer of confession." End quote. Communities of care and prayer like that, no, not easy to find, nor easy to be, but can be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer takes us a little farther along the line of confessing our falling short out loud to that one another, and why it's so important. 
In Life Together, a book written during his time as leader of the underground anti-Third Reich seminary in Finkenwalde, Evans has echoed him when he wrote, and it's all masculine, front on imagery, it was the 1930s and I didn't want to change it because it gets just too protracted. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. You do not have to go on lying to yourself or your brothers as if you were without sin. End of quote. This opens us up to truly receiving the good news of God's mercy for us. There is more good theology from his book that I have to pass over, but not this part. He asks, why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless, a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience, but a brother is as sinful as we are. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God. Whether we have not rather been confessing our sin to ourselves and also granting absolution to ourselves. Who can give us the certainty that in the confusion, in the confession and the forgiveness of sins, that we are not dealing with ourselves, but with God? Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As the open confession of my sins to a brother ensures me against self-deception, in my words, it's out there. So too, the assurance of forgiveness becomes fully certain to me only when it is spoken by a brother in the name of God. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James exhorts us that may we, in the 21st century Protestant churches, ponder how, in our confessions, assurances of pardon and prayers, we may know healing community, and Christ himself better than before. Community of care, community of prayer, church, and a fellowship of believers that don't have to be within a church building. We never were, and are not now, as a community of care and prayer, just for Sundays. And that's good news. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. It is my hope that although the practices I mentioned and lifted up in the sermon may not be what St. Peter's does or what your congregation does, but maybe it lifts up the idea of something that could be one way or another to bring us, in the mainline churches anyway, 
back to a kind of spiritual integrity. Um, anyway, I hope that you found it thoughtful, something thought provoking, and uh, I'm grateful for you, for, grateful for you tuning in, and may God bless your week. Next Sunday is World Communion Sunday, and we'll see how that shapes the message. Bye.